1 Samuel chapter 1 and the verse 3. This man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And then verse 11. She vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, Bible students often ask, what is in a name? What's the meaning of the name? Because they know that in the Bible, names usually contain quite a bit. Particularly if it's the Lord's name. If it's a name for God. And tonight I want to consider with you a divine name. God's new name in Samuel. God here at the start of the book has given to us for the first time a new revelation of a divine name. Verse 3, the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Verse 11, she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts. So here's this new name occurring twice in chapter 1. And it is thereafter, found very frequently in the Bible. It is one of the favorite names of some of the prophets. It is used hundreds of times in their witness. Zechariah clearly loved it. Jeremiah the prophet also loved it. The name is used in eight psalms, particularly Psalm 46, where it is used as a refrain in that psalm. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. It's also used as a refrain in Psalm 80. Turn us again, O Lord of hosts, cause thy face to shine. It's also used a number of times in Psalm 84 where the psalmist longs for the temple worship. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. And all these uses of that name are worthy of study and consideration to find overall unifying themes in regard to it. And those three psalms in particular, Psalm 46, Psalm 80, and Psalm 84, should be studied in parallel with the book of Samuel. The Hebrew expression is Lord Sabbath, Jehovah of hosts. In the New Testament, you see Paul and James both using this expression. For example, in Romans 9, verse 29, he's quoting from Isaiah the prophet, he says, Except the Lord of Sabbath had left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and been like unto Gomorrah. If it wasn't for this Jehovah of hosts, that's what we would have been like. And you know what Sodom and Gomorrah was like. And then James, he uses this word Jehovah Sabbath to warn the rich who had gained some of their wealth by oppressing and defrauding the poor day laborers in their time. And James says, Behold the hire of the laborers 
who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth, and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. Not just the ears of the Lord. It should send terror into you that it's the ears of the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts. Don't you be robbing your poor workers. Their God is the Lord of hosts. Most famously, it is used in the hymn of Martin Luther. That man who faced much opposition and all the hosts of men and of hell in his warfare for truth and righteousness, he had a great understanding of the significance of this divine name and had much comfort from it. As he said in one of his hymns, did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabbath, his name, from age to age the same. And he must win the battle. You see, Luther understood that name. He knew how to use that name. He knew how to bring that name into the struggle that he was experiencing. And this is where it all begins. This is the first time you read it in the Bible. The book of Samuel. It begins here in Shiloh. Now of the importance of God's name. We have to be constantly reminding ourselves. We must never lose the meaning. The significance of any of his divine names. You want to know his name. How can you believe in him if you don't know his name? He gives us his name so that we can know him, so that we can believe in him. He gives us his name so that you can understand what he wants us to do and how he wants us to live and how it is that we should trust him. So God's names are very important in the Bible and it leaves us very clear about that. Remember how Peter said, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. This lame man, this powerless weak man, what was it made him strong? It made him stand up through faith in his name. His name. They that know thy name will put their trust in thee. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and are safe. You can't run into it if you don't know the name. You don't know what you're running into until you know the name. So it's the name. And the Lord gives us names. So this isn't a theological exercise tonight. An academic study into a title. No, this is the name of God who we must not doubt. The Lord of hosts. Now the importance of the name to faith, to believers, is clearly seen in that story that we read of David and Goliath. In that conflict between David and Goliath, the Philistine laughed at him. He came out with his staff. 
came out with his wee bag, his wee shepherd's bag. Pretty powerless looking. But notice how David speaks to the giant. I come to thee in the name. Do you see how he emphasizes it? He uses the word name. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. The God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. You don't know the kind of ground you're standing on, Goliath. You don't know how great your wickedness is in the sight of God. You've defied the God of the armies of Israel and I'm coming to you in his name. The name of the Lord of hosts. So David had an understanding of the name. Where did he learn the name? He learned it as a child. He's learned it from those days being passed down. This is the name that is dominating in Israel at the time that the kingdom is to be instituted with an anointed one. So you can see then, it's not just an empty name to David. David is staking his whole soul on it. He's staking his whole life on it. He's staking his whole future on it. Whether he's going to look like a fool and a numbskull, or whether he's going to be a great champion of faith in Israel, he's staking his whole on this name, Lord Sabbath. He has meditated often on that name. That name is his armor. Throws off Saul's armor. That name is his high tower. He's going out there inside a high tower. The name of the Lord of hosts. He's faith. I'm going in his name. Whosoever believes in the name will be saved. And so this new name. And enclosed between the two uses of the new name in chapter 1, there's another new word in 1 Samuel. You have it there in verse 9. Eli the priest sat upon a seat by the post of the temple. The temple of the Lord. It's just a wee tent. The temple hasn't been built yet. In fact, we'll not read of the temple at all in Samuel. It's not built until kings. But here's the temple. The Holy Spirit is saying he's sitting at the gate of the temple of the Lord. It's a word that suits the divine name. The Lord of hosts in his temple. His temple. This is a grand title indeed for the tabernacle. But the Holy Spirit is, is, is telling us something. The new expressions are interrelated. You see Lord of hosts. Lord in his temple. The Lord over the cherubim in the most holy place. The Lord of hosts. It's a literary device of the Holy Spirit. Right at the end of the book here. To draw us into the book. This book isn't about Samuel. This book isn't about Saul. This book isn't about David. This book is about Jehovah of hosts. It's not just a collection of stories. It's Jehovah of hosts in the stories, in the history, making the history, bringing the history to pass so that his anointed one is becoming visible to us. And ultimately that's Christ. Because as we go through here, we're going to say, Saul, oh Saul's the anointed one. He looks like Messiah, but no, he's not. He's not Messiah. Makes a, a whole 
mishap of it all. And then David, well, he's raised a giant. Oh, he, he's the Messiah. No, no, he's not. He makes Bathsheba and all of that. He makes a mess too. This is Messiah. We have to get started. But they become types and pictures and shadows of, of the Messiah. And the new name is being introduced here to tell us this is something special. This is a new day. This is a very special book and age that we ought to study and not neglect. So it's there at the start to, to make sure that we, you ought to come in here. You ought to come in here and study this. The word temple means palace. A grand royal dwelling place. A habitation for a king. The king that Israel rejected whenever they wanted a king in his place. He has a palace. He's the Lord of hosts. Why would Israel want to reject him? Why would they want a Saul? But that's the story of the Lord. The rejected one. But still mighty in battle. And the conquering redeemer who rose from the dead. The God in Samuel is not some local deity merely then. Like Dagon, enclosed in a temple. He's the Lord of hosts in his holy habitation. God over all. So God doesn't reveal himself to us all at once. You know that, don't you? God's self-revelation is progressive in the Bible. And at different stages of redemptive history, God gives us a new name from time to time. And you have to note those stages when God gives a new name because they're very special moments in redemptive history. Whenever he gives a new name, it means he's going to do something marvelous. Whenever he gives a new name, something wonderful, something powerful, something mighty is taking place or is about to take place. Whenever he gives a new name, it invariably means this is going to be a new day. This is going to be a new age. And there's a new divine name suitable to it. And that's why we have this here. This is a new age. A new divine age. A new day dawning that we have to give note to. You remember whenever God gave a new name to Abram in Genesis 17. Genesis 17 verse 1 Abram was 99 years of age, age. He hadn't had a son yet by Sarah. They were past having children by the looks of things. But the Lord, Jehovah, appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am Almighty God. It's a new name. We haven't met that before. It's a new name. God has has revealed himself with a new name. The Almighty God. You walk before me and you be perfect and sincere. I'm Almighty God. And with that new name, Abram got a new name. He says, I'm going to give you a new name too, Abram. You'll be called Abraham. You have a new name too. It's a new day dawning. Sarah, she got a new name too. She'll be called Sarah. A new day is dawning for her too. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. Circumcision is a very important stage in the redemptive history of the people of God. It's a very important revelation. A covenant of circumcision. You'll circumcise your first, your, your children, your boys. The eighth day you'll do it. After they're born. And so 
there's this new age coming. And Baron Sarah is about to give birth to Isaac. His name's given too. So something special is happening with the new name. That salvation is going to reach to the ends of the earth. That it's going to flow out into the nations. And in thy seed all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. I'm almighty God. So you see the, the significance of the new age and the new day dawning. You remember the Passover and the Exodus. That was a new day. A new dawning. A new age. The great redemptive act of God that was set forth in the Passover. The deliverance out of Egypt. And all of that. Do you know that that day was introduced in the revelation of a new name? A new name. Because Moses said unto God, when I come unto the children of Israel, he's talking to the Jehovah out of the bush, whenever I go unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, the God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, what's his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. Thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. A new name. And it's that name that Jehovah is derived from. The I am. But now revealed in new freshness out of the bush for this new dawning age of redemptive history. Something great is happening. There's a new name. God is revealing Jehovah, the I am. And that's his covenantal name. It it tells us he's the eternal one, the I am, the unchangeable one. But the self-existent one for his people. For his people's existence. So they can be redeemed, brought out of Egypt, and live eternally with him in the land of promise. Jehovah. Your God. Self-existent. So that you can eternally exist. With me. In covenant. The new name. Ushers in that, that revelation. And so God spake unto Moses. And said unto him. I am Jehovah. And I appeared unto Abraham. Unto Isaac. And unto Jacob. By the name of God Almighty. But by my name Jehovah. I was not known to them. But now. I'm known to my people thus. A new name. Jehovah. Uh, And that name is part of this new name in Samuel. The first part of it. Jehovah of hosts. But of hosts comes later. A new name. So with the, the redemption out of Egypt. The Passover and the entrance to Canaan. The new name. Now we would expect then that the greatest day dawning and the greatest change in redemptive history was when? When Christ came, wasn't it? The New Testament. There never was a day like that. When the New Testament dawned, when Christ came, when he died and when he rose from the dead. Surely there must be a new name then for such an age for, for the fullness of redemption, for the fullness of the revelation, surely there must be a new name. 
And there is. There is. Matthew 28, verse 19. The Savior give us a new name in the Christian church. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name. You see that? Not names. It's the name. The one divine name, but it's a new name. It's the fullness of the revelation now of that living eternal God in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. So we have now the full revelation in this this age. Note, just in this age we have the full revelation until the end of the age, the end of the world. You see that in the verse 20? I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world, the end of the age. Amen. So this is a new name. There's going to be no other new name of God while this world exists until the end of the age. You see, there's not going to be any more dramatic changes between the resurrection of Christ and the second coming. This is the last age. The new name, the triune name, the name we hear every baptism, the name we hear practically every benediction. Every time we meet in this house, we'll be hearing about this name. Abraham didn't hear about it. Moses didn't hear about it. We, the Christian church, have heard about it. The name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And until the end of the age, that name is the full revelation of God to us. But that's not the whole story. Because there's another day. Another age to come. A new day. When the new heavens and the new earth Come, and whenever the church is consummated and enters into all the fullness, into the eternal paradise of God, with God, and then there'll be another new name. A full revelation of God, such as not been before. And you read about this, for example, in in Revelation 3. The climax in the new day, above all new days, in the new heaven and the new earth, And the Lord is telling the church of Philadelphia about it. Behold, I come quickly. This is the second coming. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. You see the word temple again? This temple of God. The the believers are going to be pillars. In that very temple with God. A pillar in the temple. He'll go no more out. And I write upon him the name. You see that? I'm going to write upon him the name of my God. And the name of the city of my God. Which is new Jerusalem. A new name. New Jerusalem. Which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him. Do you see it? My new name. There's a new name in the new cosmos, in the new creation, where the full revelation of God to his people will take place. And that revelation will be so full, so close to our hearts, so close to our experience, that the Lord is personally going to write it on every one of us. I write my new name on him. He's going to write it. He's not going to write it in the Bible anymore. 
There's not going to be revelation in the Bible anymore. He's not going to give us a new name that we're going to have to read about and trust him and try to study and believe. No, he's going to write it right on us. And we're going to know God as we never knew him before in that new name. So every time you read of a new name of God, there's something wonderful, something special, something blessed. What I'm trying to do is to whet your appetite for the book of Samuel. I hope you're not saying, oh, this is going to be a boring book. God doesn't want it to be a boring book. He's put this at the very start, along with that wonderful psalm of Hannah's, to to want to draw us in, to know him, to find him, to discover him. This is the book of the Lord of hosts. And what are we going to learn about him from this name and in this book? Well, as I said, obviously Jehovah's not new. It was revealed at the time of Exodus, whenever God showed himself the God of his people, the covenant-keeping God, the eternal self-existent one who gives his whole being to the existence of his people. I am Jehovah, thy God. Thy God, thy covenant God, which have brought you out of the land of Egypt. You'll have no gods before me. He's already revealed that name. I'm Jehovah your God. I brought you out. Don't have any other gods. But there's this new addition. Now that they've established themselves in Canaan, now that they're in the land of promise, and the, sh- the tent has become a more semi-permanent thing in Shiloh, there is this new name of hosts. Now, a a debate centers around what it means and who are these hosts of the Lord. And there are some who say it's God's people, Israel, the Lord's people, the the armies of Israel, the tribes. Uh, And the word is very often used of, of them in the book of Numbers, for example, the hosts, the hosts, tribes of Israel are hosts. And they were gathered into hosts for marching units, pilgrims, making their way in their journey of Israel. You remember how David said, I come in the name of the Lord God of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. It also is a word that's used of the armies of his enemies. His enemies are called a host. In fact, you'll see it there in Samuel. The Philistines are called a host. The Egyptians are called a host. The Assyrians in the Bible are called a host. So, so the word is used of the hosts, even of the enemies of God. We read of the host of Pharaoh, for example. And then we read this word in relation to the stars, the hosts of heaven. We read that God said, Lift up your eyes unto heaven when thou seest the sun and the moon and the stars. All the host of heaven. Don't worship them. But they're called the host of heaven. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, we read in the creation, and all the host of them. And we read of idolatrous worship in the Bible in Kings, where the people have worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal. And we read that at the end, all the host of heaven shall be dissolved, And the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll, and all their hosts shall fall down, fall away. That's a description of the end of the world, the the unfolding of the old cosmos and the bringing in of the new. All the old stars, all the old hosts, as it were, failing, 
So it is a reference sometimes to, to the stars. It's also used of the holy angels. They're called hosts. Praise ye him all his angels. Praise ye him all his hosts. And you remember whenever the announcement of Jesus in Bethlehem uh, with the shepherds, suddenly there was with the angel of the Lord a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and giving worship unto him. Bless ye the Lord, ye his angels that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts. So it's definitely used of, of the angels. Which is it then in this title, in the Bible, in the book of Samuel? Well, I think ultimately it must be them all. None are excluded. He's Lord of all. Whenever Jesus Christ rose from the dead and was exalted, he was made Lord of all, of all the hosts. There's none excluded. Heaven and earth and hell. Lord of all. All created hosts. Nothing outside his sovereignty. Not even the devil's hosts. Not even his enemies. All hosts are under his dominion, no matter who they are or where they are from. At his name, every knee bows and every tongue confesses, Lord, to the glory of God. And we read in the Revelation that every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, blessing and honor and glory and power unto him that sitteth upon the throne. So ultimately, it's telling us, even as Hannah has been singing, God is absolute sovereign. He is Jehovah of all conceivable hosts in the world. However, whenever you look at it in its context, in its use, it must especially be referencing the holy angels are his redeemed people. And sometimes it's hard to tell which. It's very hard to decide. You see, his covenant name for his people, Jehovah, and the context in which host is used is Jehovah of that covenant people. They're a host. They're a multitude. They're on his side. They stand with him. They love him. They follow him. The armies of his people, the armies of Israel. That's a, the that's a sense in which David seemed to use it. We might look like a great host, the armies of Israel. But I tell you, our God is the God of us. The God of the armies of Israel. Let them that wait on thee, O Lord of hosts, be ashamed for my sake. Let not those that seek thee be confounded for my sake, O God of Israel. You see in the parallelism of the poetry there, you have him praying to the Lord of hosts. And then in the next parallel line, O God of Israel, the host of Israel, his people. Other times it seems to clearly refer to the holy angels. Those forces that God ministers to protect and encamp around Israel and his people. And whenever the Lord returns, he returns with his angelic hosts. Remember how the Bible says he'd come in the glory of his father with his angels. 
Enoch prophesied of thee, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints, his holy ones. Probably a reference to his angels. To you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. He comes back as the Lord of hosts to his people, to get his people, the Lord of the angels, the Lord of his mighty angels, who goes out into all the earth and gathers his people, and they're with him. And I think that's the full meaning of the word. It's the angels and his people. Because he comes from heaven with his angels to get his people. His people go to meet with him in the air. And there they are, all the hosts of the Lord. The angels and the armies of his people. That's the ultimate meaning of the name. All his elect. Whether angelic elect or human elect. All his armies who are faithful to him, who are called and chosen and faithful. It's all them, the angels and the redeemed of the Lord, because Christ, he is the one who gathers together in himself all things which are in heaven and which are in earth, even in him, the Lord of hosts. He put, God has put all things under his feet, To be the head over all things to the church and for the church. So it's angels and the church, the hosts. I think then this is largely a military term. The ministering of forces, the arraying of armies. This tells us that the Lord is a God of battles, God of warfare. And his people and his angels are his armies. You see this in Psalm 24, for example. The King of glory. Who's the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads. Even lift them up, ye everlasting gates. And the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And so that's the significance of that name here at the start of Samuel. The Lord of hosts in his temple. The King of glory Why are you asking for another king? I have my anointed. I have my Messiah. I will send them in time. But they're asking. Not because they want Messiah. They're asking because they want to be like the other nations. All of them have kings that are visible and that you see. The Lord of hosts is the king of glory in his temple. I have to keep that in mind when we go through this book. So this, this name then tells us he's the God of battles. He's the captain of our salvation. He conquers. He subdues the enemies of his people. He brings them into the promised rest, having defeated all their enemies. This name assures God's people. It comforts us. When we're surrounded by all the foes. Whenever we seem to be outnumbered. Whenever we seem to be on our own. This brings illumination to us. This gives us the true world view. The Lord of hosts is with us. No matter how much a tiny remnant we are. In an ungodly world. The true world view to see. Is not by counting the numbers that you see around you. But by having faith. In the living and true God. And knowing he's the Lord of hosts. 
He's not the Lord of a few. He's the Lord of the armies of his people. He is. So this name tells us, first of all, the world is at war with God. There's a battle going on. There are hosts on both sides. We are in a warfare with sin and with Satan. This is not heaven on earth now. This is warfare now. And in that war, the Lord of hosts is with us. And in that warfare, we are more than conquerors. And shall win the day. Why? Because it's the Lord of hosts that is with us. That's why. The church will overcome. Suffice to say then, in choosing this name, that explains what Paul meant when he said, If God be for us, who can be against us? He's the Lord of hosts. So this name then is revealing to us in a very visible and tangible way the power and the sovereignty of God over the earth. It's an image. It's a great picture of God with multitudes behind him. Like that Goliath. How terrible Goliath was himself. But then he had all those armies behind him. And he had brothers as big as him in that army. And they were all there. A terrible looking host. An awful fearful opposition. And David went down into that valley. And the armies of Israel were trembling away. But David went down into that valley. In the name of the Lord of hosts. And he prevailed. Through faith. Hebrews 11 and all of that. Through faith. Through faith in the name. So it shows that God is sovereign. And will win the day. It shows the power of his creation. Who made those hosts. It shows the power of his redemption. Who redeemed that host of humans. And it shows the marvelous sovereignty of his power. Because all of those hosts have wills and volitions. And wills of their own. And yet every one of them have chosen the Lord. Every one of them have chosen to stand with the Savior. Every one of them have been won by him in a day of power. And they're willingly and voluntarily and heartily and readily standing there with him. The Lord of hosts. They're among the number. They're there. You're in this name. If he's your God and Savior in Jesus Christ, you're in this name. The Lord of hosts. You're here in that name hosts. And so it shows that God is, is loved as well as feared. Because these are obedient worshippers and followers. And so the most important thing anyone can do is to make sure he or she is among this number. That the Lord is their Lord. And that they stand with him. And in that great day of his appearing. As he comes back as the Lord of hosts. They are seen. To be standing with him. 